In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he called apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, um, Philip and Bartholomew, um, and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon who is called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And he came down with him and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came out to him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Welcome. Before we get into the text, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19, uh, let's do a quick overview of some things regarding Luke and just some quick refreshers of it. Now, first of all, that Luke wrote this gospel account with careful investigation. Right? Luke 1 Chapters one, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The purpose of the gospel account was to have certainty concerning the things the reader had been taught, or the audience is reading. And with all the confusion out there regarding spiritual things, Christian things, biblical things, it's important for us Bible students to have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught, the things that we are reading in the Bible. Now, a second thing to remember is that the New Testament was built upon the Old Testament. We're not to study the Bible in a way that separates the New Testament from the Old Testament. For example, Luke's gospel gives us a lot of revelation from the Old Testament that without the Old Testament, we wouldn't have much reference as to, being, as to what's being talked about. And what we find is that Jesus can be found in much of the Old Testament's themes, in much of the Old Testament's lessons, and a helpful way to look at the Bible is through the lens of Jesus. For example... In the Old Testament, Jesus is prophesied. In the Gospels, Jesus is made known. In the book of Acts, Jesus is preached. In the letters and the epistles, Jesus is explained. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus is anticipated. All through the lens of Jesus. Another way to look at the Bible is like a two-act musical. right? Where, where you won't get the full story if you miss one act or the other act, right? And you need the second act if, if, you haven't, if you've only seen the first because you don't know how it ends. Right? You, don't, you don't know what, what happens. And if you only see the second act, you have questions about the first act. Like, who's that? Or what's he talking about? Who's, who, what's going on here? Like, who, what is this stuff? Right? And, and it, this always reminds me about my mom. I don't know why it is. But my mom is the most irritating person to watch a movie with. <laughs> Seriously. Like, she will have questions for me, right? We're watching the movie at the same time. It just came out. Who is that? I don't know. I'm watching at the same time you're watching. I don't know. Right? Or, what's going to happen to him? What's, hey, oh, oh, all this stuff. And, and sometimes I just make up stories. Mom, that, 
that poor dog, it's going to die. And just say, but it's up. And yeah, I know. They're all going to die. But, but anyway, so irritating. But, but you see how you, you, you have these two acts. This first act and the second act, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you don't have one without the other, it's just incomplete. It's an incomplete picture. Now, a third way to look at the Bible is, is kind of like, do you guys remember those Choose Your Own Adventure books? I love those books. Those are my favorite books. Where the answers are found in the back in terms of the outcome. You can always look to the back and see what outcome you want and then work your way back through it. I always liked the, the guy when he dove and discovered like treasure. Like, oh, I like that one. I like when he reads that. Instead of like, oh, he gets eaten by a whale or something. And you get to work back. And that's kind of like the Bible also. The New Testament provides you a bunch of answers. And if you go backwards and you see where they originate from, you're going to probably end up in the Old Testament. And so there, there are different ways to, to look at the Bible here. And so it is from our text in Luke chapter 6 that if we trace it back, we'll see it kind of unfold from the Old Testament. And some of you may be wondering how this text relates to the Old Testament. And we'll see. We'll see this, first of all, by God choosing 12. Does this kind of jog anybody's memory? 12, the number 12. Does this ring any bells for anyone? 12 tribes. You were here this last week, weren't you? So there's, there's this parallel, right, of, uh, between choosing of the 12 apostles and choosing of the 12 tribes of Israel. And you keep in mind that these 12 disciples will be founders of the Christian church in the midst of some pretty serious, powerful antagonists, namely these religious Jews called the Pharisees and the scribes. And both, both sides of this are not interested in creating a Judeo-Christian hybrid, right? The existing Christians are not wanting to create this hybrid, and the, the Jews back in that time aren't interested in creating this hybrid. They want totally something totally separate, something totally different. And some of them were trying to patch their old clothes with these new patches. Some of them were trying to pour new wine into old wineskins, and we were told that that does not work if you go back to the study two weeks ago. Right? We can't do that with Jesus. We can't put that Jesus patch onto our old jackets. We can't pour new wine into old wineskins. Jesus is all about making something new. Right? When that paralytic was let down, he was made new. Right? When that leper came by, he was made new. Not part of him, all of him. And so that's like the choosing of the 12 tribes of Israel in that it was a brand new foundation for the people of God. Brand new. It's like Moses coming with the law. It's like Jesus coming to fulfill the law with the coming of the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll get into in the next several weeks. And I want us to all study the Bible on our own. I want to strongly encourage not that, not rely on anyone to feed it to you. Not me, not your, the Bible studies, not the home groups. That you would kind of get into the Word for yourself and read these things for yourself and absorb all these things. And as a follower of Jesus, as a student of the Bible, we need to put that work on our own. And let the Holy Spirit speak to us. And, and then we can kind of discuss our, our differences, if we have them, about you know, how I teach things or what I teach. And, and you say, I, I didn't see that. Let's talk about this. And so we can have this dialogue together as to... How things are read. Now when we read the New Testament from these 12 apostles who were just really instrumental in establishing the church, you're going to notice that some of these, they use these Old Testament terms. Now for example, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter wrote to this scattered Christian community, But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He wasn't writing to Jews, right? He was writing to Christians who were former pagans. Some of them were Jews, but a lot of them were Gentiles who would be familiar with God and his redemption for the Jews, but he's using these kind of Jewish words, right? royal priesthood, a chosen race, but he's speaking to non-Jews. Now let's just jump into our, our text here in verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray in prayer to God. Luke continued to write from that Sabbath incident that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, into this verse here, verse 12, and we're not told how much time has elapsed, right? Luke just says, in these days. He just leaves it at that because the time isn't important. The important thing is Jesus. Jesus who, who himself is who is of importance. The thing that Luke reports on is of great importance as well. Right? Jesus going out to the mountain to pray all night. Jesus retreating to be alone with God is a pretty well-documented thing by Luke. Right? You go to Luke chapter 4, verses 40, verse 42, where Jesus retreated to pray after a full day of ministry. You go back, and this is what it says, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And we see how Jesus needed to recharge so that he could press forward, so that he could press on. And you go to Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And then we get to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Jesus faced a ton of opposition. Of course, he faced it spiritually as well. But we also read how he faced it physically. He faced it emotionally, psychologically. All these religious leaders around him who were his enemies Right, Luke chapter 6, verse 11, what does it say there? But they were filled with fury. Not that they were filled with irritation. Fury. That's a, that's a big word on the, on the scheme of irritation where that's probably maybe a three. Fury is like nine. Right? So on the, on the scale of, of madness, I guess. Fury. And they discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So, and then on the other side of it, Jesus was facing this growing demand for him. A, a, lot of, a lot of positive stuff going on here. A lot of negative stuff going on on the other side. But this positive stuff, everyone wanting a piece of him because of the things that he was saying, of the things that he was doing. And in verse 19, we're told that the people sought to touch him. So, you know, he's, he's, getting, he's getting pushed and pulled. One side seeking to get rid of him with fury, looking to do something to him. The other side demanding more of him, wanting more of him. He had to retreat. Jesus sought to retreat with God. Now notice what happened the following day after an entire night of prayer with God. And this is something really important to notice because what Jesus prayed about was probably not that much different from our prayers the night before a big day. Right? The night before your wedding or the night before you're going to propose or the night before your big exam or your dissertation or you know, uh, just anything really big happening in your life. You're up praying a long time. Someone who's sick, really sick, and you don't know what's going to happen to them. And that is, that's what's pressed on your mind. That's what's pressed on your heart. What was pressing on Jesus? What was pressing on him? The choosing of the twelve. 
the choosing of the twelve, those who were going to establish his church, move forward his church, that was on his heart, that was on his mind, to be prayed for by Jesus, for their futures to be prayed for by Jesus. How awesome is that? You have God, Jesus, God incarnate in the flesh, praying for you all night long for you. It's awesome. And ultimately, he, he chooses them to establish their church. To know that. You prayed all night long, and it was me. You used me. Now, now, what really humbles me in this is that Jesus prayed all night? God prayed all night? Because how much do I do that? How much do we do that? I mean, maybe once a year at the annual New Year's thing where we, where we pray kind of, we're not, I guess it's all night. But we, we pray into the new year. But that's probably like once a year. But here is, it, God is doing this. And he does it pretty regularly where he steps away and he prays and he prays all night. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying all night. Now, I have a question for us. Why, why is it so hard to pray? It is so hard to pray. Prayer is one of the most difficult spiritual things to do. Why is that? I mean, it, seriously, it's easier to preach than it is to pray. Maybe not for all of you, because some of you have like this phobia about public speaking. But, but it's easier to, to study. It's easier to read. Um, it, it's easier to do other things of spiritual nature. It's easier to fast. It's, it's easier to be in solitude. It's, it's, all these things are so much easier. Why is it so hard to imitate Jesus' example here in verse 12? Why is it so hard to pray? Now turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verses 45 and 46. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Arise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. How many of us find ourselves in that state rather than imitating Jesus' prayer life that we find in verse 12? You know how, I don't know how many times I've had the intention to pray and I wake up. Whoa. How many times has that happened to you? You know, where you're, where you're so intent on praying for something and then you're... Pray that you may not enter into temptation. I, I think that's why it's so hard. Because the tempter wants you tempted. And if you were having such a robust prayer life, the temptation would probably not hit you as hard. In chapter 22, verse 40, right? Pray that you may not enter into temptation. How many of us find ourselves, like the disciples, asleep? And sometimes for good reason, right? Sleeping for sorrow. Where you, where you just get mopey and you're just like, oh, or it's a rainy day. That's like a perfect time to sleep. And, but does this word apply to any of us this evening? Right? How, how much of our, our evenings, how much of our mornings are dedicated to praying? How much do we do that? How many of us fall into this temptation of our life, whatever it may be? Perhaps you have some things going on where you, you just can't shake some sexual addiction or some substance addiction or some relationship addictions and all these things that are, are tempting you and pulling you. How much of that is correlated with your prayer life? What's your prayer life look like? Really, just ask yourself. Analyze that for, of yourself. What does your prayer life look like? Because I think there's a correlation between the temptation and your prayer life. 
There's a hymn entitled, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And there are these verses that I want to share, just a couple of them. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to spare you. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege we often carry, everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we're to bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now, now prayer doesn't have to be just all night or, or the first thing in the morning. It, it can be an anytime, anywhere kind of proposition. It happens all the time, right? And just, I used to have this hour and a half commute in L.A. to work. and then, So three hour commute. A lot of that time was spent praying. A lot of that time was spent listening to sermons. Now, when I prayed, I did not close my eyes. I, I, I suggest that you don't do that when you're driving. Keep your eyes open. It's okay. You don't have to have a closed-eyed posture. But, you know, it, it's the importance of prayer, having your prayer life. And I strongly encourage you to pray. Sunday mornings before the service, a half hour before the service, at 8.30, we have a prayer meeting. Sunday evenings at 5.30 before the evening service, we have a prayer meeting. Wednesday mornings at 6.45, we have a prayer meeting. Um, We're going to have these prayer walks that are happening once a month. You can join in on that, praying for our city. We're going to have that annual prayer night, New Year's Eve. So there's a lot of these opportunities for prayer. Verse 13, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Now this phrase here, and when day came, it's uh, meaningful to me. I mean, aren't you glad for new days? When you go through something really rough, are you glad for just this sign of a new beginning? Just like this brand new thing. And when I was in college, I was a resident assistant for two years, and there was part of our leadership training was to go on this 10-day backpacking trip. Now this 10-day backpacking trip included this four-day hike into where we were, and then a two-day spot where you're, you're planted there, so it's actually three days and two nights, and then you hike back out. Now, when you get to your destination, it's just, it's, you march. You're trekking over there, and they kind, of, they, they kind of look at you if you have experience in the outdoors and all this kind of stuff, and they put you in teams, and so if you have a little bit of experience, you're going to the furthest place, right? And so, um, I had no experience. I'd never been to the, my parents my parents never took me outdoors. It's not Chinese Americans. We just don't do that sort of thing. Like we we don't do that. We we catch crab and eat them there, but then we go home. Like we don't spend the night or anything. And so we we I we hiked. Like I had this pack on me. It was like ninety pounds because there was other people on the team, like um, other people that weren't able. Each pack was uh, average seventy, and they're like, "Oh, this is too heavy for me. Oh, I'll give it to him." And then it was like another friend of mine. We were like pack mules. That's what we were. It was just like, he had to even carry two. Because this girl got blisters on her feet and he was carrying two. Anyway, so, so we're hiking this thing and it's, we're going. And I'm so excited. It's so beautiful, right? It's, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's so wonderful. God's creation and all this stuff. And we're going there and we're hiking up. And we're like, there's snow still. This is, this is summertime. There's snow. We're hiking up there. And, oh, we're going up there. And we're above tree line. And like, oh, this is your spot. What? This, there's no trees. There's no shelters. This, we're above tree line. It's cold here. Yeah, this is where you're going to do your solo. Now, solo is where they would drop us off. And 
the only things you have are the clothes you're wearing. You're given an insulite pad and you're given your Nalgene bottle. The water pump is down in the lake or the stream somewhere. We had a lake. And you're separated from everybody else. So we're all around the lake. There's about 11 of us. If you see somebody, you have to turn around. You cannot have other contact. They want you in total isolation. No food. No sleeping bag. Just what you're wearing. And I'm like, oh, cool. Okay, this is not, no, cool. We'll deal with this. Nightfall comes. I am so stinking cold. I have never been that cold. I thought I was going to die. Seriously, I thought I was going to die. On that night, I was like, I I need like a pen or a paper or something to write my will and for my parents to sue the pants off of this university because I'm dead. I'm so dead. I was so cold. My Nalgene bottle, I had to get a stick and chip through the top of, of the ice to get into it, to drink out of it. I was like, I can't believe this. These guys are torturing us. This is the worst thing ever to happen to me. I am so cold. It is so long. The night is so long. When that sun ray popped up, I, I, it was euphoric. It was, it was just the most awesome thing. When day came. Oh, Lord. Right? But then, you know, the earth warmed up. I, I could go about skipping rocks on the lake or whatever. And I was doing all these cool things. And it was fun. And, and the thing is, um, they would walk around. Because they would check on you the following day. And so they would have these sleeping bags. And they, would, they, would, they wouldn't talk to you. The leaders would just go like this, like this, if you need a sleeping bag. Right? I was determined not to have a sleeping bag. And when they were walking, I was, I was like, I'm going to take a sleeping bag. But there was a girl before me that they got to. And she was like, no. I was like, I, I can't be showing up like that. I can't. I can't be showing up. My stupid pride got in the way. So when they came up, the sleeping bag was like, They also come around with like a, a Nutribar or something, right? If you're hungry and stuff. I was so hungry. I was so cold. I was so miserable. Night falls coming. And I know what I'm going to have to endure for another night. And they'd come around like this with the Nutribar thing too. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll just get something. That'll give me, you know, some energy or whatever. And then that girl. She was like, yeah, no big. It's not fair. She was from the Pacific Northwest. Like, that's not fair. So, so when they came to me, I was like, Right? And so that night, so miserable. Another night of just misery, of being so cold. I thought I was going to die. Then a new day. One day came. Right? And the earth started to warm up again. And, 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 I, and I felt that I made it. I, I made it through the night. I could survive the day. It was a brand new beginning. I was excited to have a new day. And I think it was similar for Jesus when day came. When he was praying all night for these 12 guys, the new excitement that he had, that he made it through the night through this prayer that Jesus received from God the Father who those 12 were going to be. And so you look back at verse 13. He called his disciples and chose from them 12. Have you guys ever noticed that before? Because sometimes in the past when I've read that, I was like, oh, he must have came down and there were 12 there. Right? But, but you look at that verse a little bit more closely. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. See, there were, there were a lot of people following Jesus, many disciples, and out of them, he chose 12. Jesus 
named them apostles, meaning the commissioned ones or the sent ones. And where in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul wrote about the church, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, I wonder, I, I kind of wonder if Jesus called them out with his own voice because there was a big multitude. Of them. Hey, Simon, come here. Or, or how he did that. I don't know. I don't know how it was done. But I, I think we've all kind of experienced this in some way or another, like in PE class, right? Where, where you're picked to play on the team or you're not picked to play on the team. And we all remember these feelings, right? Where for some of us, this is a fond memory because we were chosen. We were maybe the better kickball player or whatever. And for some of us, like, this, isn't, this is a bad memory that I'm bringing up. And so I just ask for your forgiveness and not to hate me because you weren't chosen because you stunk at kickball or whatever. But you know how the feelings were, right? Where you're on the team, oh, pick me, pick me. Like I, and, and, the, and, the, and the pride that you feel for being picked. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good at kickball. I can kick that thing, right? Or, like, you just know, like, you're always picked last. And so when the, they wanted to pick teams, you just kind of, like, waver off to the side and just kind of let people do their thing until the teacher does these mercy pickings and just say, okay, you go there, you go there, you know. Like, yeah, it's all the same thing. I'm last, right? Thanks for trying, teacher. But anyway... Verses 14 through 16. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. I mean, how these guys must have felt to be chosen as an apostle by Jesus. And I don't think that they were expecting it. Aside from maybe Judas Iscariot. And I'll talk about that a little later. But the other guys just... They probably just kind of said, oh, he's going to pick how many? Twelve? Forget it. I just... Right? I mean, who would have thought that they were... Thomas? Like when he heard Thomas, he was like, me? Really? No, no. I doubt it. Right? So it's, it's like when he was, you know, when they call him by name, right? There's like, oh, no, whatever. Like, or, you know, different people that he's calling, right? He's like, he's, he's, he's going to call Simon? Which one? The, the zealot? Really? You, he wants to kill people. That guy wants to kill people. Like, he, he's, so, he's so against the Roman Empire. I mean, some of these guys were, were assassins of, of people that supported the Roman Empire. Jesus chose someone like that? That's so crazy. And not only that, he chose a tax collector to be on the same. That's crazy. Right? And so, so you see how the God works? It's so kind of unpredictable but that's how he works and it's it's not who we are but but who god can make out of us if we're willing to be molded by him jesus said in luke chapter 5 verses 31 and 32 those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick i have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance he wasn't choosing an all-star team he didn't need to choose an all-star team. He was dependent on the Lord. He was dependent on God. Jesus was obedient to, to God the Father and followed what he heard in his prayer, that all-night prayer, to choose these guys. Guys who all but one were obedient to Jesus to the end. Right? But guys who by looking at them, it wouldn't have been all that impressive. You're, you're choosing like a fourth of your team are fishermen? Like What is that? What's that all about? And if you were to look at these guys, we would be asking Jesus, you're going to build the church with those guys? Those guys? 
that's that's crazy. Wouldn't you choose like a CEO type, or wouldn't you wouldn't you take some personality tests and choose some like cholerics or something to push forward your 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 team or something? Like, wouldn't you choose some Type A people? What's what's going on here? What kind of team is this? This is a dumb team. But it's not about them making themselves great, right? Who it, it's who is in them that makes them great. It's Jesus who commissioned them, who, who taught them, who equipped them to be great. It wasn't something that they, had, that, that they had earned that place on their team. They did not earn the place on that team. Right? Most of these guys are just pretty average guys. Nothing special about them. Right? Just even looking at church history. Right? When, when you look at the heroes of the Christian faith, how many of those guys are like really big name guys? That the secular world would know about. Maybe in Christian circles, oh yeah, we know about them because history is past and we read their books and stuff. And but but how about like the world in general? How many people know like a lot of prominent heroes of the faith? For example, let me do this. Let me ask you this question. How many of you can name all twelve apostles? One. Two. Without reading this, you guys knew it before? Oh. Two. <laughs> but you see what I mean in terms of average? We can't even name the founders of the church. There's only 12. It's not like 20. You see how average they are? Just average. And I think that that's a good thing considering that God's church was established with everyday people. Right? It's not some big shot guy. It's not like Steve Jobs carried it through, right? Or, you know, it's not like uh, these Google guys. Are, it's, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus who does extraordinary things with ordinary people. And you look at these 12 guys who are just pretty average, but here we are worshiping Jesus, and so did millions of other people on Sunday. From these 12 average guys that most of us can't even name all of them. And you look at how different these guys were from one another. I mentioned, uh, I mentioned a couple before, but you think of, of this. When you're picking a team, you want to look at team dynamics, right? So there's this book of five dysfunctions of a team that we've read before at the church. And, and we, we go through it and we, we try to figure out oh, how do we work better as a team. But you look at this and you're like, Jesus, you've got problems. You need a serious management consultant. Because think of the conflict resolution within your group that you're going to have to deal with. Moving forward, right? You've got, you got someone like Peter who's like Tigger. And then you have Thomas who's like Eeyore. And they're together. This is like so crazy. And I mentioned to you Simon the Zealot, right? Who hated everything Roman. And then you got someone like Matthew who was working for the Roman government as a tax collector. And you put these guys together. That's crazy. And I wonder, if, I wonder what Simon the Zealot was thinking. Like, I'm going to kill that guy. But if I kill that guy, Jesus is just going to bring him back to life. Like, this is so frustrating. I can't believe this. Right? And so, but Jesus brings these guys together. All these guys together. And a question for all of you is, what has God called you to? What has he called you to, regardless of our differences as a church? Because we have them. But what has God called us to that has brought us together as a church through Jesus? 
Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. May we unite under, the, under Jesus and Him crucified. We have these other differences, I know. But may we unite under Jesus and in Him crucified. Before we move on to the last verses uh, this evening, notice that included in there was Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot the traitor. And if any of these guys are kind of qualified, it's probably him. He's good at administration. He's good at taking care of money. He's good at the financial side of things. He took care of that for, for the team there. So, you know, out of all those people, when, when people were looking around and, they, and Judas Iscariot was called, they were like, oh, yeah, he makes sense. But these other guys. It goes to show you that no matter how close we appear to be with Jesus... That no matter how involved we are with Him and with His mission, that no matter how committed we look to be with Jesus, there's no fooling Him and we can still be lost. Right On the outside, Judas Iscariot looks like the most qualified. He looks like he's a really good choice. From the world's standpoint, he looks like a really good choice. But was he? And you look at Peter who made so many mistakes with Jesus. He says the wrong things all the time. He does the wrong things all the time. And yet, Jesus uses him mightily to proclaim the gospel, right? He, he just he makes mistake after mistake after mistake. And yet, he uses him to establish the church. And Jesus does amazing things with these average people. And in Jesus, average people, below average people, that's a, actually a really good place to be. Because you're open to him working through you. If you have it all together... You don't really need that. Like, I can take care of it. I don't really need it. Right? But he chooses these average guys that have to rely on him. Verses 17 and 18. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd, great crowd, of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. In these two verses lies the mission of the apostles. Right, now let's read Mark's account in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So Jesus was gaining this notoriety, that he was gaining this fame, and wherever he went, followed this great multitude of people. Now we see that Jesus' apostles are appointed to do as Jesus had been doing. We see how the Spirit empowered these uh, apostles in the book of Acts, where thousands were transformed by knowing Jesus, where, where many were healed. Now, how did they know to do what they did in Acts? How did the apostles know to do those things? It's by following Jesus. Those years prior, observing what their master was doing, those three years that they were with him. Right? You, Look at this. Look at verse 17 because it shows something about Jesus and, and how he did things. You notice that Jesus came down with them. With them. Jesus didn't just say like, okay, I chose you. You're off. Go, go do it. I've shown you enough. I've, I've, I have started healing. I have started doing these things. I've shown you enough. Go ahead and do that. He goes deeper. He, there's further discipleship. He went with them. Jesus didn't do that... Uh, he, he didn't leave us. He didn't desert us. He didn't desert them in verse 17. He also didn't desert those folks after the resurrection, right? You recall in Acts chapter 1, what, was, what were Jesus' instructions there? Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Let's just read that really quick. 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, why did Jesus order them not to depart from Jerusalem? Because it's an absolute waste of time to go out and do spiritual work on your own. It's a waste of time. Don't do it. Right? This wasn't something that they could do out of their flesh. It wasn't something that they could do out of their own talents or their own skill sets or their own gifts. This would be a work of the Holy Spirit. And they were to wait for the Holy Spirit. And Jesus doesn't send them out alone. Verse 17. He doesn't send them out alone. After his resurrection, he has them wait. He goes with them. Right? Jesus, God, member of the Trinity, He went down with them in Luke chapter 6, verse 17. The Holy Spirit, God, a member of the Trinity, was to be waited upon to be with them before they went out to be witnesses of God. He doesn't do that to us now. He doesn't leave us alone now. He's with us. He is with us as we are witnesses of His, as we are totally dependent on God, knowing that He is with us. He doesn't leave us alone. Verses 18 and 19. Who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. The apostles were witnesses of what Jesus was doing. He was healing diseases. He was, he was curing those people with unclean spirits. They got to learn from him firsthand what Jesus was doing. There's no one better to learn from. And they got to be with him for three solid years. Now, now I want to point something out in, Luke, in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to do this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Who do you think the apostles learned verse 4 from? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Who did they learn that from? Sunday school answer. Yes, Jesus. They learned it from Jesus. Right? They saw what Jesus did. They saw him retreat into prayer. They saw him coming out and give himself to preaching. They saw himself retreat to prayer. They saw himself come out, give himself to preaching. They saw him go into prayer. They saw him come out, give himself to preaching. They did the same thing. They, they're not that smart. They didn't come up that, with that on their own. They just copied their master. right? And they, they, they weren't left alone. The Holy Spirit was with them, guiding them. The Holy Spirit is with us. He will be the one to equip us with the words to say, with the actions to perform, the, the work to do. And may we be open to how the Holy Spirit wants to use us. Who, who, who has the Holy Spirit laid on your heart to pray for? Who is he preparing for you to minister to in word and in deed? And if you think that you're average and that the Lord can't use you, 
you are the perfect candidate to be used. Perfect. If you think that you can do it, watch out. You might think that you're close with God, but you might be a Judas Iscariot. Thinking you can do things on your own, thinking you can do things better. If you're average, if you're below average, great. That's awesome. Right? And, and you're not perfected, right? Simon Peter's conversion was way back when. He confessed that he was a sinner when, when Jesus filled his nets full of fish. Even then he made mistakes. Right? He, he, he made mistakes indeed. He cuts off Malchus' ear. He goes all samurai and chops his ear off. And Jesus like, oh man, give me that. Right? Put it back on. And he does all these things. He walks on water and then he gets scared. And then he sinks. And then Jesus says, oh, come on, man. Granted, he did take a few steps. He's at Caesarea Philippi. And he tells Jesus not to go to the cross. And Jesus says, Satan. And he rebukes him. Right? He, he always puts his foot in his mouth. He always does these things. He can't stand up to a junior high girl. Right? When the rooster crows three times. Like, hi, weren't you hanging out with No, I wasn't. Bleep, 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 bleep. Saying all these different things. And, and then, then the, crow, the rooster crows and stuff. And, then, and he's like, ah, oh, can't even stand up to a junior high girl. That guy's going to establish the church? Are you kidding me? Not him. God. The Holy Spirit is going to. You look in Acts. They had to wait for him. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus went with them for those three years. Can you imagine the damage that he would have done without Jesus there? He would have been terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yet he's the founder of the church. He's one of the twelve that all of us can probably name, I hope. Right? They just make mistakes after mistakes. And they just do all these things. And yet God still uses these average people. It's good to be average when you're in the hands of God. It's bad to be average when you're in the world, though. They look down on you. You get passed up. You don't get the promotions. You don't get anything. If you're average, you're below average, you're, you're nothing. You're the last to be picked on the kickball team. Average and below average are great in the kingdom of God. It's great to be poor. It's great to be hungry. We're going to be talking about these things in the Beatitudes and Sermon on the Mountain in the next few weeks. It's good to be those things. And he starts, evidently, with picking a team that's just like that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are so full of grace and that you are not relying on us to build your church, but you give us the honor to participate in growing your church. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who has a self-worth that is upon themselves or that is judged by the world, Lord, I pray that you would heal them of that and that their self-worth is through you and that you choose them and that as we wait for you and that as we wait for your spirit to come upon us to do your work and to speak your word and to preach your word, Lord, that we would just rely on you and not going out in our own flesh, but that we would fully rely on you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.